Go ahead and get your Bibles out and open to Psalm 94. Uh, if you're not sure where the Psalms are at in the Bible, it's a pretty good bet to just open right to the middle of your Bible, and you'll probably be pretty close. Uh, so Psalm 94, uh, last week we started our uh, current sermon series, Selections from the Psalms, and uh, part of last week's sermon, Pastor Mike kind of outlined the structure of the book of Psalms, and he talked about how the Psalms are not just uh, a random collection of 150 songs, but the book itself is structured in a very specific way to move us through uh, a progression uh, that is structured the way it is uh, intentionally. And so, uh, in, in large part, the Psalms chronicles the history of the nation of Israel. And Pastor Mike walked through how we could see that uh, in the book. And so I'm not going to do that again this morning. Uh, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, go back and listen to last week's sermon. And then you'll be able to have an understanding of, of what I'm talking about. But Psalm 94 uh, finds itself in that structure uh, in the period of the exile where God is still king, but the people of Israel have no nation. They have no temple. They don't have their own king. They are being ruled by another nation. And they are being mistreated by another nation. Uh, and so uh, Psalm 94 is a, a community lament, if you will. It is uh, the, the entire people crying out to God. And so the title of this morning's message is The Hope of of justice, uh, because as we'll see, the, the people are crying out for God to act on their behalf. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to read the psalm, and then uh, just as uh, Pastor Randy uh, led us through a time of prayer for the persecuted church, uh, I would also like to pray uh, for the, uh, the universal church and those who are being persecuted, as opposed to uh, praying for a local church this morning. And then we will get into it. So Psalm 94, I'll read verses 1 through 23. O Lord God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words. All the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. But they are but a breath. <laughs> Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. To give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people he will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous 
and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord, our God, will wipe them out. Pray with me. Almighty God, as we come to you this morning, Lord, we we confess that we are in complete need of you. Lord, I thank you for your word, that your word is sufficient, that your word is inspired, and that your word will pierce our hearts. And so we ask, Lord, that you would uh, invade our hearts this morning, invade our circumstances with the truth of your word. God, I pray that my words this morning would not be my words but that they would be your words, Lord, that you would uh, increase them in power and clarity as they reach the ears and the hearts of everyone here, and that you alone would be glorified uh, by what we all hear from your word today. And Lord, we do pray for those around the world who are being persecuted, mistreated, abused, and killed because they have called on your name and they have believed in your name, Jesus. Lord, we pray for them that you would protect them, that you would keep them firm, that you would comfort them and that you would save souls because of it. Lord, we pray just as this psalm begins, oh God of vengeance, shine forth. Lord, do your justice, do your work that is perfect and right. We pray that the end result would be your glory. But God, please never let their persecution be in vain, but let it be to draw them closer to you, to point others toward you, and to bring glory to you, Lord. And we trust you, Lord, and we know you are good, we know you are just, we know you are righteous. We thank you, God, that you never change. Amen. Amen. And so this morning in uh, Psalm 94, there are three, three things that we see uh, in this psalm. And the first is in verses 1 through 11, we see the need, the need for God's justice. Okay, we see the need for God's justice. Now, I'm going to... It's going to be beneficial for us to go to verses 3 through 7 because that's going to help us understand why the psalmist structures verses 1 and 2 the way that he does. So we'll come back to verses 1 and 2, but let's jump down to verse 3 through 7 uh, for now. It says, O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. 
the God of Jacob does not perceive. And so, as we see the need for God's justice, we, we see in verses 3 through 7 the reason for the plea for God's justice. Okay, God's people are being mistreated by the people that are ruling over them. They are being maligned. They are being abused. They are being killed. The most vulnerable people, widows, sojourners, orphans, are the ones who are being the most taken advantage of. The, 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 these people are being arrogant, are mocking God by saying, God doesn't even see what we're doing to you. He must not exist. He must not care. Just mocking God and mocking God's people. And that these verses should draw out of us just this, this angst for God, what are you going to do? This is unacceptable. These are your people. These are your children. And they are being mistreated. God, what are you going to do? I think for a lot of us, probably all of us this morning, there's something or multiple things in your life and my life where we look at it and say, God, what are you going to do? This is not okay. Maybe you've been mistreated at work because you follow Jesus or you've been stabbed in the back by a friend or mistreated by family members or taken advantage of, exploited because of something you had. And as soon as that person got what they wanted, they pushed you away. Maybe you, were, maybe you were abused as a child or abused by a spouse. We, we have likely all experienced some kind of pain where we want justice. We want vengeance. We want something to be done because this thing that happened was unacceptable. And we know that it was wrong. So God, what are you going to do? And maybe if it, if it wasn't even in your own life, maybe it was something that you saw in somebody else's life or saw from afar. We see these videos of this Planned Parenthood mess and we get so angry that the nation and the media and the government seem so incredibly silent about it. Just a few weeks ago, right, we see this little girl four years old, shot because somebody lost their temper in traffic. And we say, where is the vengeance? Something needs to be done. But when we see those things, when we experience those things, when those wrongs are done to us, in that moment, what is it that we really want? Revenge, get back at them, my form of justice, making them feel what I felt, giving them a taste of their own medicine. I'm going to get them back. I'm going to make them pay. Those are the thoughts that go through our mind because it's, it's, the way we're, it's the way we operate. That if a wrong is done to me, then I feel that I am justified in doing wrong to somebody else in return. So then we go back to verse 1 and 2 and we see the right response to injustice and the right response to wrongdoing. 
O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve. First thing that we, that we see here is, uh, look, look at your Bible. It's very likely that O Lord is all caps. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you see that in your Bible, that is the personal name of the God of Israel, Yahweh, the God of Israel. This is not a general cry out to God for him to do something. This is, God, you are my God. Do something on my behalf. Then he goes on and says, O God of vengeance, shine forth. We, we like that word vengeance. Right? The, the act of doing justice, the act of carrying out the justice that is owed. Right? We like that word. But for us to really understand this, we need to understand vengeance in light of God's justice and his righteousness. Because God is perfectly just and perfectly righteous. That means that his vengeance is going to be what is best. His vengeance is going to be what is right, what is perfect, what is good, and what is totally, completely just. Because he himself is totally, perfectly, completely just. And I know, I know that when we see wrongdoing or when wrong is done to us, we want to be the one to bring justice. We want to be the one to carry out vengeance. I want to do the justice because I want it done my way. But when the word vengeance is used in the Old Testament in relation to people, it is always used to say people are not the right source of vengeance. Leviticus 19.18 says, You will not take vengeance against one of your own, but you will love your neighbor as yourself. And Deuteronomy 32.35 says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and recompense. Right? Paul quotes that same verse in Romans 12 when he says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. The, the use of this word in relation to people constantly and repeatedly communicates we are not the source of vengeance. We do not get to sit in God's seat and carry out justice. We don't get to do it. I think there are three main reasons why we are not the appropriate source of justice and vengeance. The first is sin. We are sinful in our nature. If left to myself, I will do evil. And unfortunately, if I am left to determine justice, it is going to be tainted by sin. And if a wrong is done to me, you better believe that my sin is very likely going to get in the way of me seeking out justice. And I will end up repaying evil with evil. But next, we have a limited perspective 
Not only am I sinful, and so that's going to influence how I seek out justice, but my very perspective on the wrong that was done is limited. Because I only see my limited earthly perspective. I don't have the same perspective God has. I don't have the same view of sin that God has. I am not holy to the extent that God is holy. Therefore, I am not affected in the same way by that sin as God. God is on a whole other level when it comes to his perspective on sin. And not only that, but the offense itself against me is limited. Hear me, hear me when I say this. I know that there are things that have been done to you that are beyond words. That no one could say, I know how you feel because they just couldn't know because it was so bad and so terrible what was done to you. And I'm not going to minimize that at all. But as, as horrible as that sin was, as terrible as that thing was that was done to you, God was so much more offended by it because a holy and righteous and perfect God is infinitely more offended by sin than we are. And that does not minimize the sins that were done to us. Instead, it shows us just how great God's offense is at sin. And so if, if my response to injustice is likely going to be sinful, and if my perspective on injustice is limited, and if my offense toward injustice is limited, I am not an appropriate source of vengeance. I am not an appropriate source for justice. Ultimately, God is the only one who is able to bring complete and total justice in any situation. So the question then is, do you trust God to do that? Do I trust God that his way of bringing about vengeance and that the way that he is going to handle a situation is going to be right? Or do I say, God of vengeance, shine forth and take care of this the way I want you to take care of it? If I truly believe that God is a God of justice and a God of righteousness, then I will trust that his way of taking care of sin, his way of taking care of injustice, his way of taking care of the mistreatment of his people is going to be right, is going to be good, and is going to be just. So he goes on, he says, God of vengeance, shine forth. That literally means come out. Or the way that the, the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, the way that it translates it literally is speak freely. He says, judge of the earth, right? Rise up, O judge of the earth. Repay to the proud what they deserve. That, that word repay is literally bring restitution. He's using legal terms over and over again because he is painting a picture for us of a courtroom in which the case is laid out before the judge. Judge, you are just. Make a ruling. You see what is happening. You know what's going on. Make a ruling. 
And in this is an expectation that the just judge will do something. That this cry will not fall on deaf ears. And we see that in verses 8 through 11. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are but a breath. See, the reason why there's an expectation that God is going to do something is because God sees all, God hears all, God knows all. There is nothing that happens on this earth, in your life, in my life, or on the other side of the globe, that God is not keenly and intimately aware of and already making provisions for. And so when we see injustice taking place around the world, when we see God's people being mistreated all over the globe, and when we ourselves experience mistreatment and abuse and harm, we can say, God, I know you see, you hear, and you know. And I don't have to take things into my own hands. I don't have to act on my own behalf because I know you know, and you're just, and you're going to take care of this. I know you will, so I don't have to worry about it. So we see the need for God's justice, but secondly, we see the promise of God's justice in verses 12 through 15. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. This, this section really, it almost, it almost like kind of jerks you in your seat when you're reading it because you're like, wait a minute. This guy's talking about the God of vengeance and needing justice and all the mistreatment of the people and how God sees everything. And all of a sudden he switches and blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. That should be, that should be a shocking change in the direction of this psalm. And what we see in verses 12 and 13 is that God, God is working in the midst of any hardship, any injustice, any abuse, any mistreatment. God is working. Because discipline is not just punishment. Okay? Punishment is punishment. Discipline is correction. When we see discipline in Scripture, it is correction unto righteousness. And the reason why the psalmist shifts, is he's saying, God, you know everything. You're handling everything. You're in control of everything. You're using this to discipline me, to grow me, to correct me, to draw me into you. This very thing that this, the psalmist is crying out for God's vengeance, he's also saying, and while I wait, I know that this will be a means of your grace by which you bring me into you and discipline me, and grow me. 
And when was the last time that you saw the hardships in your life as God's grace? Where as I struggle, as I have difficulty, as I wait for God to do something, I am waiting in God's grace, in his discipline, as he corrects me and grows me unto righteousness. Not, not the wrong that was done to me as somehow all of a sudden making that okay, no. But as I wait for God to do what he's going to do, in that time of waiting, I wait in God's grace. And we can always have hope in the fact that God is working because God is faithful. Verses 14 and 15. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. For justice will return to the righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. God has never changed. In, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, in Numbers and in Hebrews, God says, I don't change. I will not change. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will not forget my promises. I will not fail. I will not quit on you. I will always follow through on my promises. I will always do what I have said. God was just back then. God will be just in the future. He is just right now. And we can always, always rest in that because he does not change. And he is always faithful. And so in that then, the third thing that we see is the comfort of God's justice. Verse 16, Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. See, that, that question in verse 16, who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? That's not, uh, who in here is going to be there for me? Just put your hands up. That's not what that question is. That question is essentially saying, no one, no one here can stand against the wicked. No one here will stand up for me against evildoers except God. That's why he says, if the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. He's not appealing to human justice or human revenge. He's saying, if God had not been there for me, I would have had no hope. But because of who God is, I have comfort in his justice. Look at verse 18. We see that, that God will keep us firm. When I thought my foot slips... Your steadfast love, O oh Lord, held me up. Even when everything in the world would try and tell me that my faith in God is in vain, God will keep me firm and I will see his justice come one day. I will see him act. Verse 19, God will comfort us when the cares of my heart are many your consolations cheer my soul. When I am weighed down, when my heart is heavy, when I am burdened by all of the things that oppress me and that I struggle against and all of the ways that things are not the way that they should be, 
God cheers my soul. We also see that God will protect us. Verse 22. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. If God is protecting me, nothing can harm me. If God is not protecting me, I cannot protect myself. And even in death, verse 21, they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. Even in death, God still protects me. Because even if I am mistreated and oppressed and abused to the point of death, God still has my soul in his secure hand. Lastly, we see that God will bring judgment upon the wicked. Verse 23, he will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord, our God, will wipe them out. You see, in our limited time and space way of understanding things, we look and say, no, justice needs to be done now. Do something about it now. God doesn't operate on my timetable. God doesn't operate on your timetable. God operates on his timetable. But the promise is not that God will take care of it tomorrow, that God will take care of it right now. The promise is that God will take care of it. And so it is not for me to decide when, it is for God to decide when and how, and whether it is in this life or in eternity, God will take care of sin and he will deal with all the evil that is done. See, often we, we look at things and we see the wicked prosper and we see the, those who follow Jesus suffer and we look at it and say, how is it that this is happening? We look at someone who is doing all kinds of evil and they are just living a lavish life and they die a rich person and they never see any punishment on earth. And we say, where was the justice in that? It's in eternity. That's where the justice is waiting. And so God will bring judgment upon the wicked. But you notice this psalm doesn't resolve. There's no, and this is how God did it. It ends with God will do this, not here's how God did it. There's no resolution to this psalm. We're left in waiting. And that's because the fullness of God's justice is found in the cross. Turn over to Romans chapter 3. See, I can't have a biblical understanding of God's justice and how God deals with evil and sin and wrongdoing if I don't look through the cross. If I just leave it at uh, a courtroom setting and, you know, punish bad things, reward good things, and I just leave it how, where we left it in the Old Testament, then I miss what God has done. 
I miss the fullness of God's justice. I have a very limited picture in my mind. So we have to look through the cross to have a full understanding of God's justice. So Romans chapter 3, I'll read verses 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so, very similar to what we talked about back in Psalm 94. And here in Romans 3, we see the need for God's justice. Look at verse 22, the the end of verse 22 and into verse 23. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God is righteous, God is just, God is holy, God is perfect. You and I are not. That requires God's justice. That requires God to have justice against sin because he's righteous. He must deal with sin. And he says, there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means you and I, every single one of us in this room and in every single other church in this world and everybody else included are all wicked sinners. I am wicked. You are wicked. God must do something about sin because he is righteous and he is just. Our sin requires that God punish sin. But then we see the promise of God's justice in Jesus. Verse 24 and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You see, the promise of God's justice is in the salvation that is found in Jesus. That as Jesus lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death, he thereby bore in his own body the punishment for my sin. And that word propitiation, it, it means that Jesus literally became the sacrifice that took my place and he received the wrath of God for my sin poured out on him. And then Paul tells us later in, uh, in 2 Corinthians that he became sin who knew no sin that I and you and we could become the righteousness of God. That is God's justice. That is his complete, full justice whereby he punishes sin. But he also shows us mercy. Just 
good, righteous mercy. Then lastly, we see the comfort of God's justice. Look at verse 26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That means that that God did it all. God took care of it all. God secured it all. And so the comfort of God's justice is in our security, in Jesus, where I know that I am wicked, but Jesus died for me. And so I put my faith in him. I say, Jesus, you, you died so that I could be forgiven. Take my life. Help me to live for you, that my life would be marked by obedience to you because of what you have done for me. And then I receive God's forgiveness for my sins and I get to receive justice for my own evil in my life. And that's really easy to accept. But what about when those who have wronged us repent and turn and receive forgiveness from God? Do we rejoice at the justice of God being done in their life? Are we happy that the wrong that was done to us has been wiped away? Or do we say, that is not enough? Not good enough. I hope you say the first. That I rejoice in the justice of God taking place against the evil works of someone else. But let me ask you, if you are that person who would say, nope, not good enough, they still need to pay. Then let me ask you, are you ready and willing to have that same measure of justice brought against you? Because to say, oh, I'll take all the forgiveness God can dish out but this guy better pay for what he did to me shows a complete lack of understanding of what God really did for you and the unpayable debt that you had before God that he wiped away. And Jeannie and I were talking about this last night. Why is it that we always want to see justice in such a negative way, right? Justice is only justice if something bad happens. You did this evil and you got punished. That's justice. Anything else is not good enough. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says, I did a great evil against God and he took my place on the cross so that I could be forgiven. And that is just as much justice. And that's a very wonderful and beautiful thing. And when I can live in that reality, the burden that is lifted off of my shoulders to make sure that vengeance is taken against those who have wronged me, is immeasurable. There's another side uh, to this coin of the security in God's justice, and that is if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, if you haven't sought forgiveness from him, if he is not your Lord and your Savior, there is no security for you right now. The wrath of God is coming for you. 
I will not sugarcoat it. I will not lie to you and tell you that you're okay. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, God's wrath is all that waits for you. You cannot run from it. You cannot hide from it. You can pretend all you want that it isn't coming, but it is. You can choose to reject Jesus and remain an object of wrath, as the Bible says, or you can do something about it. And you can say, God, I know that I am a sinner and I know that your justice requires that I pay for my sin. But I know that your son paid for it for me. So please forgive me and help me to live for you. And then you can have that same security that everyone else who has put their faith in Jesus has. And you see the communion tables are, are out this morning because there is no greater picture of the justice of God than in the body and blood of his son and in the finished work of Jesus. And so if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are welcome to come and take the elements. Uh, We practice open communion here, which means that whether or not you are a member of this church, if you are a member of the whole church and have put your faith in Jesus, then you can come. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, uh, then we would ask that you would not partake in this. This is only for those who have. But if you have not put your faith in Jesus, this would be a great time to do it. And then by all means, come on up. We have a gluten-free option up here if you need it. it. It seems like a lot of times most of the traffic comes to the front. Uh, so if you are able to go to the back, try and uh, kind of keep the one directional thing going where the sides go to the back, the middles come forward. Uh, and then when we have all taken the elements, we will take them together. So go ahead and come on up.